When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is the last podcast for the Unit 1 stuff, which is the Foundations of American Democracy. This is going to be topics 1.7, 1.8, and 1.9. Uh, this is basically the federalism portion of our unit. So uh, we'll get this done. Uh, as always, feel free to reach out to me, remind, text me, um, email coach D underscore 1977 at yahoo.com. My school emails are posted. It's too long to state. And then uh, social media, you can always reach me there. Uh, Twitter, KDaniels, APGov, or the school one, CHHSGov underscore civics. All right, let's jump right into this. So uh, 1.7 is the relationship between the states and the federal government. The learning objective from the, the College Board is to explain how societal needs affect the constitutional allocation of power between the national and state governments. So the bottom line here is... Uh, first off, going back to the Constitutional Convention, the states, remember, had all the power under the Articles of Confederation. And under the this new document, under this new government, the Constitution, the states are going to be asked to give up their power because they're going to defer to this large government that's being created. So federalism is kind of a uh, compromise, maybe, we, we could say, between the, the levels because the states get to retain some of their power uh, under the the federalist um, the federal federalist system that we have. Sorry, I struggled to spit it out there. Um, and and so they have some exclusive powers. They have concurrent powers that both the national state governments have, uh, which we're going to go through uh, in the next few minutes here. Uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of a a give to the, the states. You know, you're you're going to lose the main power you had under the Articles. You can't do a lot of things that you used to be able to do, but you still have some powers. You have those exclusive powers, and you also have some shared powers uh, that are going to be here. Okay, um, so a couple of, of specifics from 1.7 about the societal needs and the allocation of powers and things like that. Okay, well, first of all, let me say something. The, the exclusive powers... You have both federal government that has exclusive powers and you have the states that have exclusive powers. Okay. Um, exclusive power, for example, is the uh, federal government can, is the only ones that worry about the military. Okay. The states are the only ones that are, are going to handle education. Concurrent powers are taxes. So you have those, those powers that are only for the federal government, powers that are only for the state government, and then you have powers that are shared. Um, so, the the power and, and the we the, the the federal government and the state government work together through a couple ways. One of the big ones is grants. Okay, uh, and remember, there's two types of grants. You've got the categorical grants. This is where remember the strings are attached here. So the federal government gives money to the states and says, "Do this, and you won't lose this." And remember, my favorite example is the drinking age. That is a state. Thing, states can decide how old you have to be to drink. The federal government wants it at 21. So they let the states know, hey, 
If you make it 21, you're going to get to keep your road money. They've also tried to do it with blood alcohol levels or drunk driving and things like that. They tried to set a national, not, I should say set a national level. They encourage states to make it point, I think point zero eight, I think is what it is. Uh, and you get to keep your road money. Okay. So those are categorical grants. Block grants, those are the grants where there's a little more leeway for the states. Okay. So here's federal money. You run this program how you want to. So the example is welfare. Okay, welfare got turned over to the states back in 1996 or so. It is still a federal program. It is still federally funded, but the states get the money and they get to decide how they're going to run the program. Okay, and this is why you see some wildly different things among states among for welfare recipients. Some states you can be on it um, for as long as you want to. Other states limit it to five years. You can go on and off. You can only be on it for six months and then six months off. Or There's all kinds of different things that are out there. Okay. Um, mandates. These are basically the, the federal government saying, hey, you're going to do this states. You know, and sometimes they fund it. Other times they don't. No Child Left Behind was a federal mandate. States in education, you're going to do this. You're going to test your schools, and if they don't meet the the AYP annual yearly progress was what it was we had to meet back in the day, uh, then you have to offer these other things. You know, so extra tutoring, extra resources. We're not going to give you money for it, but you got to do it. Americans with Disabilities Act, another federal mandate, states you're going to update your federal your state buildings and make them handicap accessible and things like that. No money for it, you got to do it. Okay, so you have those. You have underfunded mandates sometimes where here's a mandate. We're going to give you some money for it, but not all the money. Okay, and then there's sometimes fully funded mandates where they'll give you give the states all the money. So uh, it just depends. Um, sometimes they'll do revenue sharing where they split the cost with the federal government or with the states. Uh, don't quote me on this, but when 85 burnt down a couple of years ago, I think it was like five years ago that 85 burnt down. Remember the section of it. Uh, was just melted away. I guess not melted, but it was destroyed. The The federal government kicked in, I think, some money to help with the rebuild because it's such a major major artery uh, road through the, the you know, through Atlanta and through the south, south southeast. All right. Okay. 1.8 is the constitutional interpretations of federalisms, of federalisms, federalism, sorry. And so we're looking at the, the learning objective is to explain how the appropriate balance of power between national and state governments has been interpreted differently over time. So we're looking at a couple different things here. We're looking at the 10th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, and then two of your required court cases. You've got McCullough versus Maryland and U.S. versus Lopez. So first off, the 10th Amendment, this is the one that states as long as it's not specifically denied in the Constitution, powers are left to the states. All righty. So, for example, we talked about military earlier. It specifically states in the Constitution that the federal government is the only one that deals with the military. It also states specifically in the Constitution that the only ones that deal with coining of money is the federal government. Therefore, the states cannot do that because it is specifically stated in the Constitution the federal government is the only one that does that. All righty. Other things are left to the, the states. Okay. For example, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a silly example sometimes with state flags. You have all kinds of state flags out there. Uh, and in the past, you have had state flags that had Confederate um, um flags and, and other things on there, okay, because there was no, the states could do whatever they wanted to. Now, since then, I think, I think every, Mississippi was the last one that I remember 
that had one. It was pretty recent. Uh, and they finally changed the flag like three, four years ago. Uh, but, you know, states could do what they wanted to because the 10th Amendment allows them some leeway there. Okay. Um, the 14th Amendment, we're going to talk more about the 14th Amendment in Unit 5, the Civil Liberties and Civil Rights stuff. But just to make sure you, you, you know where we're coming from here, the 14th Amendment deals with equal protection and due process. It defines who a citizen is, you know, uh, but specifically the big ones are the, the equal protection and the due process stuff. Okay. Uh, a couple other things here is the clauses in the, the Constitution. You've got the Commerce Clause and the Necessary and Proper Clause. So the Commerce Clause just says that, hey, federal government is going to be in charge of commerce. And so uh, we've had several interpretations over the years of this, uh, starting with Gibbons versus Ogden back in the 1800s. And then the federal government has used the Commerce Clause throughout their time now to get involved in situations whenever they feel they need to. Okay, and we've talked about a couple of these in class. I know it was a long time ago, but like Heart of Atlanta Motel, where they're going to enforce the Civil Rights Act because Georgia was not, uh, and some other things. Necessary and proper clause, this allows Congress to stretch their powers. You might see it as the elastic clause sometimes, but as long as you can read into the Constitution and Congress is doing something they're constitutionally able to, they're allowed to stretch their powers a little bit. The, my favorite example is the, the, the bank, Bank of America, or not Bank of America, the National Bank from back in the 1800s. It doesn't say anywhere in the Constitution that Congress can create a bank, but it does say they control commerce. Okay, so we can stretch that out a little bit and they control commerce. So they need a bank. They can create a bank. All right. Uh, two court cases you got to know McCullough versus Maryland, which deals with the bank and then uh, U.S. versus Lopez. So McCullough versus Maryland, uh, this is going to reinforce the necessary and proper clause and the supremacy clause. Okay, so first off, McCullough versus Maryland deals with the fact that Maryland did not like the Bank of the United States and they wanted to get rid of it. So they tried to tax it to death and the bank's like, we're not paying those taxes. So that's where the case kind of comes from. Uh, the Supreme Court is going to get a hold of it and they're going to decide a few things. First off, they're going to decide that, yes, necessary and proper clause, the implied powers all exist. Okay, and that the federal law federal decisions are supreme over state wishes, state laws, and things like that. Okay. So yes, necessary and proper clause states that, that or, excuse me, <laughs> let me reset myself for just a second. Yes, there is no mention of a bank, but necessary and proper clause, like we just talked about with the, the necessary and proper clause, allows the, co the Congress to create a banking United States. They have that power. The supremacy part Article 6 states that the Constitution is number one, federal laws are number two. So basically, if the federal government wants to create this bank, states there's nothing you can do about it, okay, because they are supreme. All righty. So McCullough versus Maryland, implied powers, necessary and proper clause, all that stuff is backed up, plus the supremacy clause is reaffirmed. Next one is the U.S. versus Lopez. So U.S. versus Lopez happened in the 90s, early 90s. Lopez brought a gun to school. Uh, which violated the Gun-Free School Zone Act, okay? Uh, Lopez was charged by his state. I can't remember if it was Texas or California. I never can remember. Sorry. Uh, so he was charged, and then the federal government decided, you know what, we want to charge him as well. So this is why it's U.S. versus Lopez, because Lopez is going to fight the fact that the federal government has the right to make these charges, all right? He's being charged by the state. 
He doesn't want to be charged by the federal government as well. The federal government is saying, hey, we can come in because of the Commerce Clause. All righty. Uh, schools deal with interstate commerce. Therefore, we have a right to come in and we have a right to, to, to press these charges. Okay. So he's going to fight that. He doesn't want to face federal charges. So that's why it's U.S. versus Lopez. All righty. And the Supreme Court is going to agree with Lopez and back him up and say, yeah, um, Congress does not have the power, does not have the authority under the Commerce Clause to come in and make this gun-free school zone act a thing. You know, we're just going to let the state handle it. So um, it, that that's a loss for the federal government. So you need to remember the U.S. versus Lopez is a loss for the federal government because they uh, were not able to use the, the Commerce Clause there like they had in the past. All right, last thing, 1.9, federalism in action. The learning objective says, explain how the distribution of powers among three federal branches and between national state governments impacts policymaking. So uh, the big thing here goes back to something we talked about just a few minutes ago, or not, excuse me, not a few minutes ago, in another podcast where we talked about the checks and, and, and balances um, and the, the multiple access points. So the bottom line here, we can't get hold of the president. I can tweet at the president all day, every day. He's probably not going to respond to me. Okay. I can call up my Congress people at the national level. Good chance they're not going to return my call. Maybe our governor does. Maybe our state representatives do. If they don't, then I have local level stuff that I can go and, and hit up and see if they can help me. Okay. What this is getting at is that because there are so many levels of government, because there's a national level, because there's a state level, because there's local levels, it gives me and you more opportunities to contact, get involved with our representatives. Okay. So that's what that's getting at there. Um, and that is 1.9. That is federalism. And that is unit one. Guys, as always, if you have questions, concerns about this, this stuff, any of the topics, uh, please find me, email me, text me, social media, media me, whatever you got to do, make me answer your questions, uh, especially about those court cases. Those are required court cases. I'm going to talk in a separate podcast about the, the, the breakdown of the FRQs, but one of your FRQs is to compare court cases. So you have to know about these two court cases and then be able to compare it to one where they give you information about the other one and they compare it to the one that you're supposed to know about. So be sure you know those things uh, and let me know if you have any questions. All right, guys, hoop all is well and uh, talk to you later. Bye-bye.